0: uh, So, not true. We were poor. I was poor. My dad had a pager, but he got it from work, I think, actually. Yeah, there you go. All right, you ready? I'm going to do a soft open, then I'll introduce you. Are we speeding? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owens Show. And I literally just found out that I am not the holder of the Guinness Book of World Records most downloaded podcast. That means you. The listener, the viewer, you are not doing your job. But I do have the person that holds that record here with me today. Adam Carolla is the author of I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, available on Amazon. He is also the host of the Adam Carolla Show. Adam, welcome to the Candace Owen Show.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: What is the magic behind it? I'm very disappointed that I'm not number one. What are you talking about on there?
1: You know, it's a male-dominated space. Mm. Obviously, I have privilege, and white so male. I use my privilege to go right to the top. Of I figured the it was like a
0: white male thing.
1: He- well, heterosexual, in as well. particular. Yeah, so it's kind of one, two, and three for me, and you're kind of O for three, and so obviously, the Guinness Book reflects that.
0: Right, and I can I can now add that to the list of ways that I am systemically oppressed.
1: Well, I think I want to grow up in a world where all children own a Guinness Book record for Mm. most downloaded podcasts. I mean, that's my dream. I won't sleep until everyone has world-class health care. No child goes to bed hungry. No child – where's my camera? No child is left (laughs) behind. Every child has world-class education access and – has a Guinness book of world records. It's to a hang right on their wall.
0: I would describe it as a right. A in human ca- right. In
1: Canada, everyone gets a Guinness book, a world record. In <laughs> yeah. in in the Netherlands, I'm not kidding. In <laughs> Sweden, mm. in uh Switzerland, everyone holds the record for most downloaded podcasts. And for longest fingernails, I do believe. I got to check that one.
0: Yeah, it's impossible, I mean, for kids to be happy and to thrive in a society if they're not given, um, you know, automatic access to being number one on the Guinness Book of World Records, which is why I wanted to have you on the show, because this is something that, you know, you don't get to enjoy, that you get to enjoy. But people like me who are black and who are are women, especially, I mean, being a woman instantly Mm. probably – put me at the way below you on the list and these are sort of the things that society is suffering from but at least you acknowledge you know if you'd like to apologize for being white it would probably be a good way to start
1: you know my feeling is is I want these voices to have a seat at the table. That's right. But I want it to be a smaller children's table, not the main (laughs) table where we're doing Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Because it's yap, yap, yap. And I'm trying to enjoy a scotch and a turkey leg. And so my feeling is is these are marginalized, underrepresented people. Mm. And they do need a place at the table. But the table needs to be smaller and be not so close to my table where I can enjoy my uh, my bounty.
0: You sound like Bernie Sanders. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I don't want Bernie at my table because he spits when he talks. Yeah. And I don't want him with his shirt off and he's waving a drumstick around and he's pontificating about – Castro or Hugo Chavez and the mouse that spittle.
0: Mm, yeah, the spittle. Yeah, there's
1: a spittle and a dander thing with him which <laughs> is not a it's not friendly to a buffet. You don't want to be behind Bernie at the Golden Corral. I figure like you're going to What you get the spittle and the dandruff? Oh no, I got the ambrosia. Oh. Maybe. Yeah, you don't follow Bernie into a Golden Corral.
0: I'm glad to know that. Mm-hmm. So now you have to tell me, what is this book about, the title? And let me tell you why I love this title, I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, because I, I rant about a lot of different things. But honestly, this this uh, emotional support animal thing on planes has gotten completely out of control. I mean, they're forgetting that humans have real allergies. Like, right. I, I have I'm a human that has real allergies, not emotional allergies.
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing you're not allergic to, hot, provocative talk.
0: No, I, I
1: that, my friend, no EpiPen for you. <laughs> you are. That's
0: 100% true. I go there. No I go notes there. from the
1: doctor to no. get right into it.
0: You got to get into it.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm with you 100%. Um, I sort of have this theory, which is all roads lead to narcissism. So this whole breakdown is people just want to travel with their dog, and they want to travel for free, and they're not that interested. It's a golden rule thing. It's, it's a breakdown of the golden rule. Like, well, how would you like it if somebody showed up with a menagerie next to you on an airplane? And it's like, this is what I want to do. It's a kind of a societal agreement we have that is completely broken down because of the narcissism that is now running rampant. And I, it's this book is a follow-up to a book I wrote right about 10 years ago called In 50 Years We'll All Be Chicks. And I just – all these predictions that I made – uh, yeah, except for I said 50 years, and it should have been nine years. Mm. So we're there. We got to the 50 much faster than I'd anticipated. So this is sort of a follow-up to that. Now we're living in this place, and uh, – Dogs at the airport, dogs in the airplane. I'm
0: telling you, Louis C.K. did this skit. It's so funny. If you haven't seen it and you're listening, go go look up the skit of him talking about just how people are. We're, we've gotten to a point where we're so privileged, and, and especially in America. Like people sue for things that are just absolutely absurd. Like like why are you? The fact that you're even in this circumstance is a sign of uh, your remarkable privilege. Like you know, I was on, I, I booked my flight on United Airlines, and um, uh, I was assuming we were going to have Wi-Fi, but the Wi-Fi router went down. We went in the air, so I'm suing United airlines because right. I didn't have Wi-Fi and and right. C K is like this amazing thing just happened this this device this spaceship just took you into the air and like you're complaining because you can't send an email for two hours right but that is sort of where we're at in society where people are just so remarkably privileged that um when things go wrong in circumstances that are just amazing these amazing hu- human feats they're like I'm, I'm gonna sue I'm upset like I can't even believe that I lived through this that's America I hope I, I I hope that's exactly what your book's about.
1: You know, you know. Yes, I just, I really just transcribed Louis' act and put it in, in a, a book. book form I hope so. And I'm sorry, Louis. I've it's, it's whatever they canceled him. You're good. No, you know, you know. As I think about it, you know what we need to do, like really philosophically, because people do that thing where it's like we're all guilty of it. You know, the power went out in my house. The other day, was out for twenty minutes, and I was like, I was devastated. You know, it's like, oh, what do I have to do? Talk to my kids or play a board game? This, just you know, or the phone when it's like, no, the voice command on the phone is misinterpreting. You know,
0: no, you listen to me, Siri.
1: Yeah, what we need to do, I think, what everyone needs to do, is somebody needs to build a time machine, and they need to build a time machine, not so that we could go into the future and cure cancer. Everyone needs their own time machine. Everyone once a week needs to get in their time machine and go back to 1972 and just live in a house with a rotary phone that was bolted to the wall and have three channels of black and white TV and the remote doesn't work and the Handles busted, so you got to use needle nose pliers to change the channels. And you don't have central air, but you got the oscillating fan in the bedroom when it's hot. You just go do one day in 1972. You know you're, the car won't start because it rained last night. And the distributor cap got wet, and Dad's got to take a hair dryer to it. You do one day in 1972, and then you come back and appreciate the hell out of everything you have. And then right by the right about the time you're done appreciating it. It's back to 1972.
0: Can I have a question? Hmm. Just one question. Can I bring my emotional support pet on the in the time machine? Oh,
1: in the time machine.
0: Because I can't travel time unless I have a dog with me. You know I understand that.
1: But I saw the movie The Fly, and in the movie The Fly, Jeff Goldblum is traveling in his pod, and there's a fly in the pod, and he turns into the fly. So, <laughs>
0: could be a, you could turn a into risky. a schnauzer
1: right. or whatever your dog make is. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, because of the movie The Fly, I don't think that'd be a good well, idea. Well,
0: then, uh, just saying, the time machine industry is probably going to get sued. But that's that. That's neither here nor there.
1: A lot of liability.
0: So, you told me that you had a conversation when I was saying talking to you about off off camera about the collective sort of coddling of society and the direction that we're going into. You said that you had a conversation with Dr. Drew and you guys sort of had a theory about what's going on in society where we see all of this.
1: Uh, Yes. Dr. Dr. Drew and I have a podcast we do together and we also have many theories because Dr. Drew and I've been working together for like 20 some odd years and he's very interested on like what's going on and how are we getting to this place and who's propelling this. And the theory though, going way back was Dr. Drew when I was doing Loveline with him in the 90s, late 90s, we're doing the radio show, he used to constantly say to me that the woman's perspective and the woman's uh, approach was more evolved. Like we should, we should become essentially more like women because the man's world is aggression and sexuality and like, all these things we don't want, and the woman's path is a much better path. It's a more evolved path. And I'm like I kind of get it, like the old days, caveman, drag by the hair, all that stuff. We want to evolve. And so he would always say, like, we need to evolve a little more toward the women's way of thinking. And I was like, okay, I, I, it's hard to argue with that. But what happened was we just kept going. And now that's the new way of thinking and politicians and pundits on TV. It's all, they've all sort of evolved. Have you ever seen so many guys wearing bracelets? I've never, look, my, my entire youth, I never saw one of my friend's dad rocking six bracelets. Now all the guys are wearing bracelets and you go, well, what's that have to do with anything. It's an indicator. The more guys who wear bracelets, the more of that we're going to have. And so, I believe that women are more feelings-based and men are a little more nuts and bolts in numbers, and that's probably why there's more women who teach kindergarten and more men are mechanical engineers. That's, that's our wiring. We've got a lot of the mechanical engineer guys to kind of push over toward the feeling side of the world, and that's where all this craziness is coming from.
0: But it's only a, it's only a disease of the West. Yes. Um, so and that's We a, have
1: to be out of problems.
0: Yeah, right. You have you to have be out of problems. You and cannot I say, oh, have problems. Just, no, if you have problems, have
1: then we need the engineer guy building a dam.
0: I literally just said that in my book. I talk about that, that conservatism. Everybody is a conservative when there's actually real problems, right? Like nobody's debating bathroom signs when uh, there's actually a war going sure, on sure. or a Great Depression. Everybody's suddenly counting their pennies, financially aware. Everyone's a conservative. It's only in times of remarkable privilege that liberalism and leftism can find a breeding ground um, because then you can go, oh, well, I don't have any problems. So let me just kind of, you know, complain about things that don't really bother me. But like, you know, I need something to fight. And I think that actually is something to say. I think there's something natural that happens, like the human spirit, If you just look at human history. Men need to triumph. And when I say men, I mean, Men and women, I, you know, using the term, I'm not going to say men, humankind, uh, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, m- men need to triumph, um, and and if we don't have anything to triumph, right, this weird arc of like uh, over civilization happens, where you're like, well, now that everything's okay, we we still need to feel like we triumphed something, right? We're not the generation that ended World War One. We didn't world end World uh, end World War Two. Everything's kind of been okay here for a long time, which is why everything is suddenly not okay. It's because things are peaceful. People don't know how to be peaceful in society. And I think that what's what makes me nervous about that is then you start getting these conversations like um, uh, what, what Dr. Drew said years ago. How long ago was it that he, he proposed probably that?
1: Probably 20-something years.
0: 20 years ago, right? Someone says we should start, you know, looking at the way women are and men need to be a little bit more like women. But that's a, that's a Western idea that is not being adopted in the East. And people have a way of not looking at the global stage, right? So while we are teaching our kids to pick their genders, have you ever seen a Chinese kid with a calculator? At five years old, because it scares me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, "I'm like, what is he doing? Is he calculating that quickly? Like, what's going on? What's, he right. what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing?" Because they're 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 becoming the you know the male calculating quickly competitive spirit, and there is this this um, this fallacy. There's this idea that because we're dominant now, uh, we're always going to be dominant. That's just not how it works. It's not how, how that's not how. If you know anything about human history, people are on top and then suddenly they're on the bottom. So it's, it's, it's important for us to hold the line in times of peace uh, to make sure that we don't start weakening ourselves. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing today. People are just um, weakening our society because we don't know what to do with peace. We just want to go out and kind of just bash things over the head or triumph something.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, We're out of problems. We have a part of our brain that needs to solve problems, fear problems, negotiate with problems. And no problems means not no problems to a lot of people. It means let's create problems synthetically so that we can occupy this part of our brain. And, you know, anyone who's ever studied anybody who was really wealthy um and oftentimes kept. Like if you are wealthy and you are out there earning money every day and you're running a business, then those are your problems. But if you take that person's husband or wife or whoever the part of the couple is that doesn't have to go out there and chew up that real estate every day and get the, make that money and pay the employees and account for the bottom line and everything, you take the rich person that's at home and doesn't have anything to do, then you'll say, "How's your day going?" and they'll go, "Oh my god, the florist was late, it was a disaster." And it's like, "The florist, you have a florist, right. you know. <laughs> so the florist was late, was that's a disaster?" Like they're the people that are subject to the hyperbole. Those are the that their dog walker didn't show up on time and the guy who was supposed to break in your husband's Italian loafers got sick and it's all a disaster, right? you know? And so if you take human beings, you remove responsibility, obligation, and real gravity from their life, they will then create their own problems to fill that in. Now, if you take, you know, but it's kind of like when I used to do Loveline, um, I used to, once in a while, I'd talk to a dominatrix and um, on the show, you know, not off, not off. (laughs) Those conversations are very personal and private. But I always had this theory when they talk about, you know, how expensive it was. And the guy, you know, it's always like, he wanted me to come in. And then I put him in a diaper and he crawled around and I smacked him with his huggy boogie, you know. And I'd go, these are all rich white businessmen, right? And she'd go, yeah. Every time, and I'm like, "Yeah, I said, you ever have a poor Mexican guy in there?" And like, no. And I'm like, "You want to know why? Because that guy, that guy's life is getting his ass kicked. You know, I mean, that guy's got a foreman who's a douche, and he's got to go to work all day, and he's got to pay bills. And I, the rich white guy, he's in charge of the whole place, mm-hmm. and so when he wants his outlet, he wants to be smacked in the ass with a bungee cord and be a uh, drink out of his bottle. So." <laughs> People people will go into their modes depending on what the stimuli is. And you give a person unlimited money and zero problems, and they're going to go on a hunt to find problems. I always said when President Obama was going into his second term as a president, I'm like, okay, now it's time for all the people who claim we live in a racist nation you guys got your work cut out for you now and you better work overtime. And all those people started working harder at finding racism because I'm old enough to remember that the first black president was used as a as a yardstick to measure our society or a finishing line. Like people would go, well, there's still racism, but we've made, you know, we've made a lot of progress. But if we ever get to the point where we elect a black president, that'll be the finish line. And then we did for two terms, but the people who have to find problems everywhere needed to ratchet it up. And so there was more, what a racist culture we live in. Talk after we had a two term black president, then. You know the '90s when, like, Clinton was in there. No one really talked about it.
0: Yeah, that's so true. It, it got way worse. I said that. I you know, I said that plenty of times. I don't remember people being this sensitive about race problems everywhere. Microaggressions. Um, I saw a, a young girl that I used to babysit, um, and she's a young Jewish girl uh, in New York City. Goes to a private, elite private school. She's sixteen years old. Fifty-seven thousand dollars a year is her school, and there's two of them. They're twins, so one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars a year for these kids to go to school show me first day um, there's a they point to them 16 years old where the safe spaces, you know and talk to them about like what the safe space is used for at their school um, and they're all required to take a diversity class and what this diversity class is that they're supposed to go around the room and share with one another um, why they feel bad for their skin color you know obviously this is a majority white school and why they why they feel bad for being white and what they understand um, is the problem what's problematic about their about their race and she they, they learn these terms microaggression and she said there's this class Diversity class is dedicated on making them understand what a microaggression is, which is when you might not realize you're an internalized racist, Adam. You might not realize it, but you've thrown at least twenty microaggressions at me since we've been talking. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So you're gonna need I'm to a take light. a diversity. Now, where, where, where we at the
1: fifteen minute mark. I try to average twenty five every quarter. What are we at? We're
0: gonna. We've only done twenty. That's correct.
1: So I'm, I'm supposed to be at 50, at yeah. 30. Mm. So.
0: so many. I just I felt microaggressed uh, just constantly. But to this think, is
1: not going to but... be good for my image. <laughs> I gotta ratchet this up. Sorry, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm just. I came in. I don't know. It's raining outside. Like this whole coronavirus. You're off your thing. game. You're
0: off your game. You're off. Normally, your game. I'm
1: a microaggression machine, a, man. I'm yeah. a phalanx gun. 20. Just
0: twenty. Exactly twenty. Okay, um, boy. <laughs> but to think that that is what? It, could you imagine? First off, shelling out the cash, fifty-seven thousand no. dollars a year to send your kid to school to, to school to learn about what's wrong with their skin color to learn about how they could be offending somebody when they don't know what their, just language. Right. And then, this is the worst part, she said, on um, during a Black History Month, so just this, this past month, they allowed, they had a school assembly, and, and they'd have an assembly every day, and mm-hmm. the black kids were allowed to stand on stage and just yell at them and say, you don't understand what it's like... You don't get it, for me to be a black woman, Adam, and you're sitting there, this is happening at an elite private school in Manhattan, fifty seven thousand dollars a year. And I'm just thinking, I wasn't in school that long ago. I graduated high school in two thousand and seven and I'm thinking, this is absolute lunacy. These 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 kids are crazy. They're you're literally actually now fostering race problems, right? You're you're telling the black kid they're a victim and they're being aggressed, and you're telling the white person that they're problematic. How do you how are you expecting society to get along better because of this?
1: Oh, well, You know, I said to someone recently in terms of lawsuits at, you know, Fortune 500 companies on sexual discrimination or race discrimination, these symposiums that you're forced to attend, which, by the way, I don't think you should. Like my feeling is, is. We have somebody and you have to, it's like you have to sit down with them for three hours and have to explain to you, is it okay to compliment a coworker on her appearance or whatever? First off, screw you. I don't have any history with this. It's like saying you've got to go to an AA meeting. It's like, I didn't get a DUI. Wait till the guy gets a DUI and send him to the AA meeting. I don't have any history of driving drunk. So I was saying to somebody, all these corporate speakers who have to come in and explain to you about diversity or about women's rights or spaces or when this is a microaggression or when it's OK to compliment. You may compliment her on her hair but not her outfit. I, I reckon that lawsuits, discriminatory lawsuits about, you know, either sexually based or race based lawsuits has to be up 10,000 fold. So, did these lectures help anyone? Did it leave this problem? Did we fix this problem? Did See, normally when somebody wants to come in on earthquake preparedness, and they come in and they give you a lecture on how to be prepared for an earthquake, then you stock away some money and some canned beans and some clean water, and then the next earthquake hits and it actually helps. These people bring experts in, and the problem gets worse.
0: I mean, exactly. Let, let's think about this. We are now at a time in society where a if a white girl wears her hair in braids, it's called cultural appropriation, uh, right. because braids were created by Black people. So you're taking something that's Black and turning it into something that's white. So people can be microaggressed by how you do your hair in the morning. Okay, I got a right? jufra. I mean, like, well, guess what? You, you know what's wrong with that? You're you're microaggressing Jewish people when you wear your hair in a jufra. Like, this is these, that these good these are for terms. six? It's cultural appropriation. I'm
1: trying to catch you up. I'm so far. <laughs>
0: Behind. It is, it is we're cultural at the appropriation. Mark. And and so here's the thing. So if you're telling me that somebody's hair, okay, can be, his hairstyle can be something that, you know, they're offended by their hairstyle, they're offended by um, it, having to wear their hair and look presentable even. I've seen the, the things of saying that somebody asked somebody at, at a business, uh, you know, we really don't want you coming in with your hair all crazy and stuff or whatever. And they were like, oh, that's my natural hair. I wake up like this, you know. And so now people are getting sued because they're being asked to look presentable. Um, and uh, I, on I, the I, other side, you've got women. <laughs> here's a microaggression take a compliment.
1: sorry i wake up with a boner but <laughs> i rarely bring it into work that's got to be good for like 17 that right
0: That's amazing well that i don't hilarious. i wake
1: up that way but i don't walk it into work that's not my hey man you know this how I roll.
0: This is me naturally.
1: I know I'm wearing some loose fitting sweatpants and I go commando. So that's as God made me.
0: It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. It's the idea of just like, Basic respect now, basic respect, yes. like being presentable, uh, you know, getting a shower and getting dressed, everything. It, it seemed as this, this offense. This is, oh, well, this is just how the, the, the white man wants it. The patriarchy wants it. And I'm like, this is crazy. Being presentable and looking good, That's that should, just, that should make you happy, right? Like, why do you want to look sloppier, look crazy? And then there's the other element of this. And I believe this. I, 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 If I was a man, and I'm not a man, but if I was a man, I wouldn't hire a woman. I wouldn't do it. And I say that all the time, and I say that. And that is something that women need to consider when they're talking about this stuff. When you are saying that a man complimenting you and saying, oh, I really, I, oh, I really like your outfit today, um, is a form of sexism. What is the if you're a man? Why hire a woman, right? So you no, fought no. all this time to be able to get into the workforce, only to say these are going to be the rules. You know, if you say anything, even if you compliment me, if you if you look at me, anything, I'm going to have a reason to fight you. And by the way, you're going to want to settle and pay me because even just the stain of an accusation is enough to ruin men. So what wow. is what if you're if you're a guy, right? In this society, in this Me Too environment, in this in this uh, litigation rich environment of misogyny and sexism and all these claims. What is the value add? Uh, what's the the risk? You know, the, the the benefit and the risk. I just, I can't do the analysis and say, I'd just be like, no, I'm just not hiring one. Give me all the men.
1: Well, I agree. That's me. I mean, that but, if I was a
0: dude, I'm a girl, so I hire women, but if I was a dude, I wouldn't do it.
1: But if you're running a strip club, you have to hire a few That's ladies. True. That's true. I tried That's that. True. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it was a disaster. disaster. No, look, first off, 1,000%, all of this stuff that we're talking about is unintended consequences. So what happens? I run a business. I've had attractive young women are like, this is the new whatever. I don't want to mentor them to the point where we're in an office and I'm doing one-on-one stuff because everyone is looking for this impropriety, you know? So it's like, if that was a guy and he was a young guy and he was like a new hire, I would say to him, Hey, let's go get a kebab on Thursday and tell me what you want to accomplish with this company or what your background or your goals or experiences are, which I've done many times. I haven't done it with the girls, with the women, because I, who, I don't want to go out to lunch alone with the 24-year-old attractive girl. Now, the unintended consequences is that person now may not be mentored the same way that the 24-year-old male may have been Mentored, and then, but it's a byproduct of this environment,
0: and that's what it is. I mean, I look at it and I say, everything women are fighting for right now. I'm telling you, if 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 we win half of these battles, it's going to hurt women. Uh, Case in point, I'm a small business owner, and and we have women that are fighting for, you know, mandatory six months leave for maternity leave. Do you think small business small business owners can afford if they hire six women and they all get pregnant and I got to pay them for six months? And then, by the way, it, it shows many of them just don't come back to work. They take the six months and then they quit. Right. Right. And people can't afford that. So if I know that this becomes, you know, mandatory, that every business now has to offer a uh, six months. By the way, they're fighting for men and women. Six months to every, to, for men and women. What is that going to do to small business owners? What is the incentive for me to hire a woman if I know that just because she works here automatically, it means that she, can, if she gets pregnant, she's been here for one week. She gets pregnant. I'm on the hook to pay her for six months. People like Goldman Sachs will survive that. Right. They've got the money right. to do that. But small business owners? Well, y- look, y- y- You're I- not going to get your entryway, you know, in society. It's usually small business in long ways give people their first chance. So I'm just like, be careful what you're fighting for. And I'm not saying that people, you know, obviously understanding the differences in our biology and, and women, we can give birth. And that 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 is, you know, obviously disruptive if you want to be a person that climbs to the top of a corporate ladder. But when you start demanding all of these things and more and more and more and want a year of this and a year of that, it's just like, guys, people are just going to say, I don't want to hire you because it's just a lot of stress and a lot of extras that I really can't afford to do right now. And I well, also don't want to get me too'd.
1: Yeah. And it's the same with the $15 minimum wage or exactly. whatever they're proposing. Like, wouldn't it be a great idea if everyone made $15 an hour? And it's like, yes, except for here's the problem. And I, I've had it. As a, as a business owner, like, I you really experience it. Like, there was a guy, and he worked for me. He was, like, one of my shop guys. So I do, like, broadcasting, podcasting make documentaries and stuff, but I also do a lot of car racing and car building and things of that nature, more just sort of mechanical stuff. And I had a guy and he was always a little bit slow and off. And he was just one of those guys that just didn't have the production that some of the other guys had, but he got a lesser rate. And so it was always fine. And at some point we got to the end of the year and he said, Oh, uh, can you cut me a check? And I said like, yeah, what are you getting? Are you what are you getting eighteen an hour? And he goes, Oh no, I got a I got a raise. I'm at I'm at twenty three an hour. And I was like, Oh okay, okay. And I I wrote him the check and I I gave it to him. The next year, I remember I was like, uh, Is Bob coming in Monday? It's like, Oh yeah, Bob's coming in Monday. I was like, We don't have that much. Just tell Bob take Monday off and come in on Tuesday. Because I was up in my head about now I'm paying this guy this high hourly rate. And I know all he's doing is kind of pushing a broom and putzing around a little. And it was real clear to me. And I have guys, I have fabricators and welders. I pay them 60 bucks an hour, but they're doing really meticulous craftsman fabrication work that would cost me more if I outsourced it. And I don't care what that guy's doing. He's in, he's doing his his work with his TIG or his MIG welder. But this other guy I kept thinking about, And I realized, oh, yeah, that's what small business owners are going to do. If you jack it up to 15 or 20. I can't afford it, so you're going to get
0: fired. You know what I mean? Or they'll just
1: just cut back the hours. And you'll you'll go home with the same paycheck because you'll go from 13 to 15, but you'll go from 40 to 33 hours and it'll be the same. It'll wash out.
0: I actually think that's kind of one of the biggest problems in society when you hear these arguments is a lot of people don't understand business. Like, we're really not teaching business. We're not teaching economics. We're not teaching, you know, what, what, what the free markets really means and that no matter what, you, you cannot force the market, right? right. Like, you can, you can try to. You can say something like, we're going to do, we're going to raise it and make a minimum wage, but you cannot then force um, business owners to say, okay, I've got two employees. I was paying them both this much, but now uh, the government's doubled it. Well, then they're just going to let one go or give one less hours so you can't force that and and you have kids that think that you can
1: what what people don't understand is that business owners are smarter than politicians like you know i'm in la we got garcetti and gavin newsom Anybody who runs a chain of Burger Kings is going to be 10 times smarter than those two buffoons, right, right? Right, So you go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to force that guy to pay a $15 minimum wage, and then we're going to add a surcharge to every burger that helps pay for wind and solar, and we do this and that and the other, and then that guy's going to pay it. But that guy's smarter than they are. So that guy goes, no, I'm moving to Texas, and I'm starting an offshore account in the Cayman Islands. And then- the mayor and the governor are like, what? What happened? It's like, well, you guys are dumb. And, and by the way, you're dumb. Of course you're dumb. You're career politicians. These guys run businesses. So they're by nature much sharper than you are. And it's their money. So they're hi- they're highly motivated. And they figured it out. And they moved. So they sit around and they go, Where's all the affordable housing? And it's like, you guys jacked up the regulation through the roof. You made it impossible for affordable housing to be built in Los Angeles. And you want to know where all the developers are? They're in Texas or they're in North Carolina. Yeah, but we said we needed more. Yeah, but you guys are dumb and they're smart. Right. So there's, they're just out. You're out to take money. They're out to make money and they need to turn a profit. So thus we have... None of that. I mean, look at Hollywood. Look at Runaway Productions. Look at all, we got to get a permit. We got to get more money. Everyone just went to Atlanta and That's opened right. a studio in Atlanta. They went to Prague. They went to New Mexico.
0: And people don't understand that. You cannot, you cannot manipulate. You cannot force the market to do anything. The market will get up. It will leave. It will move. It will adapt, right? It's and- totally
1: fluid. And and the most progressive people on the planet will happily take their entire production to New Mexico and give them all the tax revenues because you're too greedy in Los Angeles.
0: Right. Breaking
1: Bad was supposed to be shot in the Inland Empire. They got greedy and they went, screw it, we'll go to New Mexico. And then they did five seasons. And then all the ancillary businesses, all the tours and the catering and the restaurants and all the stuff that trickles down.
0: The, the problem is, is, I mean, part of the struggle is that because the rich people and wealthy people have been demonized so much, people don't understand why they need them. People don't know why it's a good thing if a lot of rich people live near you. They don't they don't get it. And and, and so you have these economic collapses that happen because you have the politicians who know nothing, um, who are getting votes from, from from people who are typically impoverished and have very little, they have no business experience, they don't own or operate businesses, so they just understand the social justice arguments of, I have less, they have more. They're appealing to that, they're getting the, the votes, and then you, you create this economic bubble. Where the rich people say, "Okay, that's enough." I'm from Connecticut, so I, this is exactly what happened in Connecticut. They said, "Okay, um, you're going to keep throwing the taxes up." All of the businesses left. It was literally like overnight. Aetna left, GE left, and then the wealthy people abandoned their mansions, put them up for sale, and they flew south to Florida, right? right. And, and, and California, they're they're flying they're they're flying east to Texas, right. uh, Because they're not going to stay here. Charles Schwab just uh, announced that he was leaving. Uh, he's now building his campus. There's a massive, sprawling campus. I think in San Francisco uh, to Texas. Right, mm. Charles Schwab. I mean, the
1: guy who created peanuts. <laughs> oh, 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 the financial <laughs> thing. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> Snoopy. I, I, yeah, the song is so awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not to be the confused. one guy is dead. I yeah. didn't want to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that guy died <laughs> in like 17 years. Oh, Charles
0: Schwab. <laughs> But it's, Charles crazy. Shrub, it's right, crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. Oh, look, and I'm just like, and, and I'm looking at people here and I'm like, it's like watching people that still live in, in California. I'm just like, it's like watching like the Titanic movie in slow motion where I'm just yes. like, where when is this going to get turned around? Or like, is well, everybody going to just it, like it, stay in their cabins? It's and,
1: feeling based stuff, which is they could afford to pay. They could afford first off. Yeah, everyone can afford stuff, but they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was driving through Beverly Hills once and, uh, back before we had all the homeless guys and you'd he, have a couple of like bums like hey man can you spare some change or whatever and the guy like knocked on my window at a red light and I rolled it down and he's like hey man can you spare a little change and and I was like yeah okay and I gave him five bucks and he goes hey man like I recognize you from TV you can afford more than that and I was like I could afford (laughs) $500,000, but that doesn't mean you're getting 500 and it doesn't mean you're owed 500. Yes, I could afford it, but why am I under any obligation morally? or beyond to give you that money.
0: We have the most privileged uh, homeless people ever, by oh the way. I God. mean, we are producing homeless people like, and it, it, by the way, thanks to the politicians, right? They're they're living a, a great lifestyle right now and they want more and more and more because you have politicians that are offering them more and more and more. I say now, uh, we don't have people that are, are homeless. We have people that are living on the streets because right. you can now live on the streets. It's a lifestyle now, right? right? So you can choose to live on the streets versus before where it was like, you're just you're just homeless and, right. and you're traumatized and you're going through this. It's like, no, nah, this is a, actually a better lifestyle because they're they're giving us free handouts uh they're giving out needles you know they're supporting our lifestyle they're taxing rich people more and more Um, and and unfortunately if people don't wake up to it and it's sad because places like connecticut i love i love connecticut you know i grew up in connecticut i go there i don't recognize it i don't recognize it the roads aren't paved um you know they've got sanctuary cities there uh crime has gone up and um taxes have gone up and people are moving out this is this is where we're headed
1: yeah it's a it's a pretty simple equation and the people who aren't living on the streets but who do have money, you know they call it upwardly mobile and mobile means you can move like if you're upwardly mobile and everyone's doing business all you need is a computer these days um, why can't you do whatever you're doing in a state next to your state that's more friendly? And more hospitable to your business? And the answer is for sure you could. So, you know, back in the day, if you had like a big mill, a big textile mill, you couldn't just pick it up and move it to Texas or move it to Nevada. But anyone can go anywhere now, including full productions. I mean, I drove Brian Cranston to the airport to Burbank Airport. He did my podcast. And then I said, Oh, you don't, Uber. I'll. I'll give you Ryan. They're going to New Mexico. It's entire groups, of course. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure why politicians don't do that math. It's it's so abundantly clear.
0: I think they do a different kind of math. I think what they focus on is just votes. I think all they care about is themselves. And it goes back to your earlier point about narcissism. We live in an incredibly narcissistic society. Um, and typically, you find that narcissism is rampant when you're talking about politicians. I mean, they, are, they really are, um, a lot of them, not all of them, are, are, are just career narcissists. Um, and for them, just winning votes is, is what, they, what they think about. They don't care about what's going to happen to society. It's all about winning votes. And it's an easier strategy. Nobody ever won um, on the slogan, be more responsible. Right? Right. Sure. <laughs> right? Hey, uh, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, elect me. We're, uh, gonna make you guys be more responsible. That's not a thing, right? No. So politicians to win have to be angry at someone and then they have to appeal. It's, got, they gotta go back to the old communist style proletariat. Um, you, you're the little guy. These are the big guys and you elect me and we're gonna go after, we're gonna go after them. Because saying you're the little guys because you made really bad decisions in life. <laughs> you're going to have to get a job and be better, but I'm going to create this amazing economy where there's going to be jobs and you can get it is not always a winning message.
1: Yeah, I think it was uh, on Dennis Prager's radio program I was listening and he was explaining something about uh, one of the founding fathers or one of the folks of yore just said the second the voters figure out they can vote themselves money, it's all over. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially... I'm going to offer you free health care and free college tuition. And it's like, well, I'm going to give free college tuition, health care, and I'll eliminate any debt. Oh, OK. Maybe that guy now. And it's like that the experiment is over. And the politicians have figured out that it's like you got two kids in the house and I'm running on a platform of scrambled eggs and oatmeal in the morning and my wife's running on a platform of Reese's peanut butter cups and nobody needs to go to school on Mondays and they go well, we're voting for voting her mom right yeah. and then I'm going, but that's unhealthy. And in the big picture, it's not going to be good. You know, your dental hygiene is not going to be good. There's early onset diabetes. You're not going to be properly educated when you enter the workforce. And they're like, yeah, OK, we'll be enjoying our peanut butter cups right. over here. That, that's
0: such a perfect analogy. And
1: that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And the politicians have been like, well, let's
0: just offer them peanut butter cups. Mm-hmm. I'm, and that, it literally reminds me of an elementary school and we had, um, we, we had to elect a president for our, our class or our grade. Um, and there were two people running against each other and one of them just ran, you elect me. It was like a mock election of free, we're going to have free lunch and blah, 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 free this and free that. And they went and they got really glittery, nice posters and that person won. Like yeah. no one cared. I mean, about the economics of it. He said it was going to be like we, we didn't actually get it. It was like a mock election. But the kid that won was the one that offered the most free stuff. So really, fundamentally, what you have on the left is people that have adopted um, an elementary, elementary fifth grade, um, you know, a- election style. You know, how am I going to get elected in a group full of people that don't that can't help themselves a, um, don't want to help themselves b, but love free stuff. Yeah, and that, it's, that tends it, to be it, the majority. It's a steady
1: diet of free stuff mixed in with your victim, and I'm going to fix that.
0: Right. So. And, and victim's easy, by the way. And, and you always wonder, why do people love all of these different categories of how to be a victim? Because victimhood's easy. Life's tough. Right, saying hey you know what Life, t- life's really tough and it's tough for everybody it's not it's not an easy thing to, to be a good human being to be a productive human being every single day day in and day out um, so it's much easier to offset all of your problems and to say you know what it's not my fault if I fail here forget getting back up Right? forget getting back up and trying again I'm going to say I failed because of this that's an easy pass right to say I'm actually yeah I know I haven't done anything in my life but it's because of the white person the tall person the rich person the whatever person hold
1: on that's all me <laughs> <laughs> wait did you did she say ruggedly handsome, or did I just hear you that? You just
0: heard ruggedly handsome.
1: Tall, white, rich. rich. Matinee idol, good
0: looks.
1: <laughs> yeah. we check the tape. Wait, was that a microaggression?
0: That's your problem, because you're tall and wealthy and white and heterosexual. Like That's like the last thing I want to be inside. If I could pick—I'm so happy I'm black and a woman. I'm like, gosh, it's oh, like a good time to be... to be a heterosexual white male in society right now. It's you guys are catching all the heat.
1: Yeah, well, you know— you know, so as a as a white guy, you get pulled over by cops for no front license plate and the guy's a douche. But you don't go, oh, it's because I'm white. You go, the cop's a douche, you know. And you, you I do deals all the time where it's like the bank's not going to lend you the money. You got to put up 40%. I'm like, why do I need to put up 40%? I have such a good the, – the rule is – but I don't go, oh, it's because. I just go, those are the rules. Or I have a neighbor – was being unreasonable. And if I was black, I might go, well, that old man's a racist, but I'm white. I go, that old man's just a douche. So my real privilege in being white is not really getting privileges. It's just knowing that the whole world is basically this way
0: right and it's true that's 100 percent true and, and and it's it's almost like the lens of racism um is, is is preventing people from being able to accurately assess what's happening they don't know that that bad exists people have a bad day you get a police officer you could just be having a horrible day you never know maybe he's been up since uh, on the road since 3 a.m and his boss is coming home. everybody has a bad day right including police officers we know society is not perfectible but the left sort of sells black individuals this idea um that it's like anything bad that happens to you is because of your skin color not because of this is a like you know just a life welcome to life condition of life there people are people suck people are mean people say mean things um and you can have a bad day and for some reason black people have started to adopt this idea that we are special snow we are special snowflakes we are literally society special snowflakes anything that happens bad to us it is because of systemic oppression systemic racism and we're seeing that being perpetuated by people like al sharpton jesse jackson who have race hustled this society they been allowed to. I mean, they've been allowed to go decades with shaking down corporations, shaking down people. They've been proven to be verifiably wrong on on, on on plenty of the cases that they've gotten behind. But if there is a race element involved, they will they will splinter society, have white people wanting to kill black people, black people wanting, wanting to kill white people because they can make money and they can fundraise and they can, they can raise more money for their 501 C3 foundations if they prove that racism is still ugly and still exists. They need racism to still exist.
1: It's not their fault, though, because they're essentially hustlers they're hustlers yeah and they're gonna do what they're gonna do it's money it it, it's the fault of all the people who just cave to them immediately you know they put them all over their TV stations. They go to them whenever there's an event, or like Ferguson or whatever comes up. They never question them. They never ask any of the hard questions. They never bring up any of the Tawana Brawley past or any of that stuff. They just sit there because they're they're cowards and they're under this sort of umbrella of okay, we got Al Sharpton on our side. We're we're, we're kind of covered. Everyone is so scared to death of being called a racist that the people that know better and know who these guys are they prop them up
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they feed them a, a paycheck and they give them a platform so I don't I don't blame them for just trying to make a living off race baiting I mean it's it's reprehensible but I get it there's there's people that do many things in our society you know what I mean it's like there's there's always going to be pimps. There doesn't have to be Johns. You know, there's always going to be making some money off of this young girl. But you don't have to patronize. You know what I mean? Not that Al Sharpton's a pimp. Although if you see pictures of him from the 80s, I, you know, he, does, he wore velour Sweatsuit with a medallion outside of the velour sweatsuit. So
0: (laughs) I have not seen any of those pictures. Does I need to go back?
1: You got to go back to the way back machine. He was big, he had uh, had a hot comb, kind of bouffant, and uh, he had a medallion outside of a velour sweat running ensemble. So it it was definitely a good look, yeah. Kind of looked like a man of leisure, (laughs) but uh. I don't really blame them. Yeah. They they're just hustlers. They're trying to make money. I blame sober news organizations that look to them all the time well, as the, the voice the, of the black community. Well,
0: they're not sober news. They're drunk media new news organizations and media personnel cuz they know I don't 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 I cannot be fooled into believing that these news organizations believe that these people are, are serious that they should be taken seriously. They don't. I think it's I, I think the media is actually a part of the problem in, in making oh, yeah. people hate each other, right? Because you know why hate gets clicks. That's I mean it's that simple. Sure. Talk about business incentive. Hate gets clicks. You put something ridiculous on on say this happened horrible. This person got almost got killed. People click it immediately because they need to know oh, no, this horrible know. thing that right. happened, right? So it's 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 good for them. Imagine if the the headlines every day read like you know kid selling lemonade. Makes twenty dollars and donates it to veterans, and uh, this—if it was all nice and peachy, they wouldn't make as much money.
1: Oh no, it's it's at absolutely a tacit agreement between what these guys do and what they do, and what gets clicks. And politicians are the same way. And it's it's sad because turning someone into a victim is the worst thing you could ever do to them, mm-hmm. and it's it it flies in the face of what this country is about. Anybody. Whoever has a child who has a disability, you know, bona fide, confined to a wheelchair or uh, ab- abnormality, every single parent works overtime explaining to them that they don't have this disability, that it's not going to hold them back, that they can accomplish anything they want as long as they work harder than the guy, you know, you're in the wheelchair, and, you're, and that guy's able-bodied, but you're going to outwork him, little Johnny, and you're going to rise up the corporate ladder. Well, that's what we do with people who have actual disabilities, and you would be the worst parent in the world if someone had a disability, and you're like, yeah, you're pretty jacked up, dude. Maybe you shouldn't try, because right. the world hates you. Well, then you'd be a horrible parent. So why doesn't that hold true for cultures and groups?
0: So true. That is such a good point. Why doesn't hold true for cultures and groups, and it doesn't. And and you. So you, if you predicted um, that, okay, once Obama won the second term, that was your prediction of like they're going to have to go overtime with this race narrative. What's your prediction for the future now? Because they've gone overboard. I can't. I don't see how they could go more extreme then like the KKK's back, which is where we're at right now, right? They're like, I, I, I'm i trying to think of like, what would be the most Is the KKK extreme... back? You, you missed it Charlottesville. And so now there's, every time white people convene for anything, it's it's because the Ku Klux Klan skinheads oh. and white supremacists are back.
1: I normally get a text from the yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. Grand. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what his Maybe first you, name is. Maybe you have to is. update Grant your number. Wizard or something? Yeah, you, that... you gotta
0: update your, num- your, your number.
1: Oh, once there's yeah. a meeting I'm missing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I park my horse in a green zone. Um, but I don't know if that's unloading. You know that
0: mass text that went out to everybody like get your. Well, get I don't your have my phone back. on me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
1: How many aggressions are we up to now with the with the <laughs> yeah. clan reference? There, we we getting near fifty. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I I we're at a saturation point, you know, with this stuff. He's a racist. I've always said. Uh, recently said, there's never been a better time to be an actual racist. I know, because you can just hide. You know, they're. Calling Dennis Prager a racist, so they call Candace a racist, right? Right. So you could be an actual racist and just stand in between you two. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I, I my, I, I mean, are you optimistic about it? Like, do you think that like now we've kind of like hit peak? Crazy? I, I, I think.
1: I think there's the boy that called racist. It's like they just be they the the thing about the racist or anything is. You can't throw that card out every single time somebody disagrees with you because it just doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. anymore. And we're getting to the point, And the news agencies got so drunk off of that. Oh, we'll just call someone a racist and then we'll whatever that it no longer has the effect that it had. I'm older than you considerably. And I remember – when you'd open the newspaper, turn on the news, like so and so made a racist remark, and be like, "Oh my god, what?" Did? And 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 sure enough, they said something horrible. Now it's like, well, he called the coronavirus the Chinese coronavirus. And You're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right, everyone's racist. All right, uh, okay. I got it, I, I
0: got, got it. it yeah, I got yeah. It.
1: And then now, if there is something that's actually racist, I'm tend not to listen anymore because I'm. So saturated with all the allegations of racism from the past.
0: Yeah, I actually have fun when I speak on college campuses. Of sometimes I'll start my speech and I'll say just to start, you know, in, in this room, how many people in this room have never been accused of being either racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic or some, some other thing? And like no one's hand goes up. I'm like, okay, right. so like literally on, on the way that we are at right now in society, like I'm standing in a room full of horrible human beings. Right. And that's just sort of a great way to, it's a great entry point to let them know like just how ridiculous society has gotten. Where you think, it's, I mean, do you really realistically think that you go to a school filled with horrible, irredeemable human beings? Or are, have we maybe uh, taken language, twisted twisted words to mean something that they're not anymore? And the sad part is, is that you're exactly right. When there actually is a racist, like, I mean, like I, I, I'm immune to it. Everybody's immune to it because everybody's been called a racist. You know, when you start calling the black people the racist, you lost, the, you lost the plot you know what I mean when the black people are racist now too you've completely lost the plot um, but um, I well, think I,
1: about how think about the actual sort of racist concept of Ben Carson's not really black because he doesn't agree with us it's like Boy, is that a racist <laughs> statement? That's a ins- that is a legitimate. Or Candace Owens is not really black. Like,
0: just take away your entire. Like, it's, it's totally crazy. Like, to just say like you're not. It's like being like, oh, you're not really a woman if you don't if you didn't vote for Hillary Clinton or if you don't believe in the Me Too or, yeah. movement. Like, you're just not. You're not really a woman. I'm like, well, what am I? Like, what exactly <laughs> right. am I? Yeah, like, or
1: Dave Rubin's not really. He's gay. He's not really
0: gay if he doesn't support every these these ten and these ten commandments of being gay. These ten commandments of being black. These ten commandments of being Jewish.
1: I um, just let me verify that. I did the Rubin report. Oh, he's gay.
0: <laughs> I I,
1: I actually, I did some field work. <laughs> I can tell you right now. I'm not proud of it, but right. I, I I, I rolled my sleeves up and I did some digging around mm-hmm. and he is gay. <laughs> Where's my camera? I'm here to verify. He knows it, but I had to check.
0: You, you, yeah, you, you've heard it here on the Candace Owens show. Dave How many, was that a microaggression? Is would you count
1: that as a... As well. I'm
0: seeing him this week and I'll, I'll be sure to let him know. If you
1: tell him, then it counts as a microaggression.
0: 100%. Like 100% counts. Okay, so this okay. is the society that we live in, a society of microaggressions, a society of safe spaces, a society where literally everyone is a, ra- a racist, a, a literally Hitler. You hear all the time these expressions um, where it, it, it ultimately – which Dennis Prager talks a lot about – cheapens Evil, um, and that's that is he always says the greatest sin of the left is that they've cheapened evil. They've cheap they've cheapened what it means to be a racist. They've cheapened what it means to have been an evil dictator to have done horrible things. Um, but I'm always optimistic about it, and uh, so we wrap the episode on an optimistic note where we ask you to leave a face message for the world you can say anything you want actually and you, you have can, that
1: big an audience
0: yeah I'm, I'm super popular people like me
1: that's the entire planet
0: well they, actually they, they just watch it because if they, they don't want to be considered racist so they just, oh okay man, mandatory watching on sundays
1: um my message to the world
0: yep on uh, your mark get set world i give you mr adam carolla
1: uh, stop fussing with the purel. Don't use soap. Get in the dirt. You have to get a little dirt on your fingernails in order to build up a little immunity to life and fight off all these, uh, horrible viruses. So the reason I never get sick is because, uh, I eat cashews off the ground and I don't use soap. So please suck it up, go out, press the flesh, no more elbow bumping. And, uh, Get a job and fight to keep it.
0: You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Put some hair on your chest and toughen up. And that's a wrap. Thanks Thanks. so much for coming in.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.